Boom. And we are live on DLive today with my boy, Dr. Bear Paul Lando, live and in effect, coming to you straight from the South Fork of the Smith River, living that off-grid life. And um, yeah, today's going to be fun. We're going to talk about a really fun topic that uh, has been coming up a bunch on um, some of our channels. Um, let me go ahead and just notify uh, our Telegram channel that we're going live. Um, one second. And actually, let me grab my phone. Um, so I can do something on Telegram. Um, I'll throw it over to you, Bear. And um, yeah, just give us a quick second. Let us know what you've been up to um, as we get people coming in here already. So let me meet this. Uh, yeah, how's your day going so far? It's doing good. Busy, busy, really busy time of year, and um, I still do a little consulting even though I'm retired and I had an overseas client that just left, and they land on my doorstep still, so uh, things get very intense because they come in with severe problems and uh, takes a little energy output amidst uh, running in and out, taking care of the farm and all the other things we have going, but all's good, all's good. Uh, beautiful day. It's cooled down here a little bit. So I might have to water only once instead of three times. It's been a hundred degree days up here, <sighs> but uh, everything's going good. We've got, we're about two weeks uh, behind planting, uh, maybe longer, but we'll get it all done this week. And uh, I'll be relieved when that's done because it's quite a chore. We expanded our crops this year and uh, next year we'll expand one more time and then we'll, be in a very serious commercial zone as far as making some of our offerings uh, available to the world at large. Right now, we make just enough to, or grow just enough to put in some of our products, our tea lines. And, and uh, this year, we'll have a lot more actually with what we just planted. Uh, next year, we're, we're going to be on par with anybody growing our prime herb out there. Yeah. And people won't have to get in Asia anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually did a post about uh, Jiao Gulan on Scent, which is a new platform that we're really loving. And uh, yeah, sorry about the hair today. Just kind of woke up, ran outside, and been doing stuff nonstop. Actually, uh, I was going to say something. You are having a bit of a bad hair day there. I think it's actually kind of rock star, personally. I think it's a good look. Um, but uh, I guess yeah, that's I had mine styled this morning. I always spend quite a bit of time so I can look this way. Yeah. Well, I thought you just, uh, you just kind of rolled naturally that way. I thought you just the, uh, uh, being out. Oh, yeah, the, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, for me, uh, you know, uh, the rock star kind of messy hair look, uh, it gets the ladies going. So, uh, it's edgy. And, the, and the fellows going, <laughs> I'll tell your wife that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, no, I lost my train of thought. Um, 
I was just going to say, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I put a post out and sent about immortality tea and there's some like kind of snarky, funny comments about it. If you know, cause there's the whole quote about drink immortality every day, drink immortality tea every day, live to a hundred. And there was some kind of snarky responses about, well, that's not, that's not immortal. Um, ha ha ha. But, uh, they get what we mean. Uh, it's a longevity tonic that um, Asian cultures have been celebrating for thousands of years. And we all know that uh, historically, uh, typically from modern, even modern um, science has shown that those communities tend to have a longer lifespan than a lot of people in the West. Uh, there are, of course, pockets in the West, like in Italy and different islands and stuff where um, that longevity reigns true as well. And that's a great segue actually today into what we're going to be talking about, which is um, essentially uh, diff different uh, ways to go about your diet and how that relates to longevity and your overall uh, quality of life and your health and all that. But uh, the Jiao Gulan that we grow uh, and what we're building out up here uh, in Northern California is really unique because as you were saying, uh, Dr. Lando, currently to get that herb, you would typically need to order it from overseas, from China or Thailand. And even the or, uh, quote unquote organic Jiao Gulan you would get is typically, um, as we've found out through third party testing, riddled with all sorts of issues. It is pesticide issues, even though it's organic. And by the way, that's an old uh, Asian proverb, drink it every day and you'll live to 100. However, if you drink our tea, you will live to 100 and we will give you a full money back guarantee if you don't live to 100. <laughs> that's funny. Someone actually uh, put in the, one of the comments on scent. Uh, if uh, I'm not immortal, do I get a money back? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, well... I didn't reply to that yet, but technically, well, we're all immortal, so um, that's a pretty good guarantee we got going on, because if you actually understand really what we are, we, we all are immortal, just because our meat suit slowly perishes uh, doesn't mean but that we do. only if you drink our tea. Exactly. Um, yeah, so I think uh, that's a good segue, though, into today's topic, which is a heated one. Uh, considering that so many folks out there, um, well, it's great. It's great to see. It's great to see that people are really getting in tune with their health in respect to uh, their diet. And we've gotten to the, these extremes, though. These extremes where now it's like, I'm, um, I only eat raw uh, food off a tree. It has to be growing on a tree. Uh, uh, for the have the true life spark for me to uh, appreciate it be, what vegan is now uh, I've, we've seen that extreme too I only eat meat and nothing else but meat the heart still needs to be beating kind of thing you know it's just like uh, so uh, today we'll kind of go into um, the different sides of this and give our perspective and also more importantly besides my more limited perspective is your perspective from all the clinical research you've done and, uh, excuse me, the clinical work you've done and your, um, your wisdom from, um, all your years on this planet, uh, in, in, uh, competitive athletics and so on. 
all my years on the planet, are you suggesting that I'm old? Uh, I'm, I'm suggesting you've got me by a few decades, but I'm not suggesting Just you're old few. by any means. Just a few. <laughs> um, but yeah, where do you want to, where do you want to start with this? Um, well, tell me what's, uh, what's the hoo-ha on the uh, chat room there? What's, uh, people are getting heated. Why are they getting heated? It's just food. Oh, no, not in the chat room here. We haven't actually had any chatter yet. But on, uh, And there's not really heated. It's just uh, people throwing in their two cents on um, their kind of dogmatic view on, um, on, you know, what is the right way to go about, uh, you know, full vegan or full paleo. And uh, we've, uh, I've kind of come in and given our two cents, uh, no pun intended on the scent uh, channel here. Um, but uh, yeah, I could actually even bring up some of the discussion here uh, in a second. Let me just find it. But I, actually, I know, I know where you're coming from with that because for some people, uh, for some, a lot of people get really militant about their diet. And, uh, you know, some people are selling things and books and things, but then, uh, you know, the followers uh, really, really get into it. It's, uh, it's a, always been a curiosity to me. And, uh, you know, if you're talking about food, the first thing we have to realize is that old saying, we are what we eat, really isn't true. Uh, we are what we are. And our food choices really... <laughs> reveal where we're at in our process or in our evolution if you want to think of it that way and one thing i learned in clinic for many years is that um there's no one best diet and even aside from diet <clears throat> when it came to other practical measures and modalities and and treatment approaches uh for instance, you could get uh, 100 people with the same diagnosis of some particular disease have identical symptoms, and real medicine, you'd have to treat each one of them completely different. And, you know, we have ways to assess what those unique differences are and how to address them. The same thing with diet. Um, you know, when you're working with somebody, there's so much involved with our food. There's, uh, it's, incredibly entwined with our emotional body because you know the the one link that we have to our survival other than you know after breathing is food and most people can't even fathom you know missing lunch uh you know and uh you know again it's equated with our survival and we make a big big thing out of it and uh, I truly believe that health, as well as our spiritual evolution, is dealing with all of our attachments. And food is, uh, you know, it's an energy source. It's compressed informational fields. And those informational fields, uh, whether they're meat or vegan, have inherent qualities in them. So you have to ask yourself, what are your goals? What's your purpose in life at the moment? Where are you at? Uh, what are you craving on your dinner plate? That's going to, again, reveal a lot about who you are at this moment in time. And look at it that way. So when you read a book or follow a diet guru or the, or the latest trend, you're probably really missing a lot of uh, good experience 
which is uh, the discovery process of, uh, you know, uh, where you're at, uh, where you desire to go, and, uh, you know, how much you really understand about the life process. I've done every extreme myself. Uh, you know, I was uh, on the website. People can go and see, I've, you know, 280-pound football player with uh, no neck and, and you know, in, in total – body consciousness beast mode you know a, a good deal and you know total gym rat and into combative arts and that kind of thing and uh, to the other extreme of uh, being a raw food vegan and everything in between so the truth is uh, we're always in transition and use tool uh, use food as a tool to facilitate wherever you are in that transition and also to introspect what your food choices are revealing about you. Yeah. And I guess that journey is um, something we can kind of get into and, and giving some people some practical advice on how to go about that journey uh, to discover. And, and you made a really good point about the emotional side and the emotional body. And these are things that modern diet gurus and books rarely talk about. And it dives more into the spiritual side as well. But um, getting more in tap with your emotional body is so crucial for your health and how that relates to um, the emotions of the attachments you have with food. Um, obviously, in modern day society now, we see um, this relationship with food has been commoditized to the point where we've got the Food Network and we've got... Bon Appetit magazine and all these other things that really celebrate food in a way that is obviously above and beyond health. It's a it's a way to you know find enjoyment in life. And I um, you know I am a quote unquote foodie in that respect. I at one time messed around with going to a culinary school and I had a catering company and uh, a fledgling one that we tried to get off the ground back in the day. And I've worked in restaurants and I enjoy going out and dining out. Um, however, there needs to be a balance between this relationship and um, the relationship uh, that uh, is naturally intended with natural law for what the point of food is. So anyways, um, what, are some, what are some ways we can dive into and in how you work with, uh, you know, when you were really working in, the, uh, in your clinical practice, um, how you would relate the, these concepts to your patients and to friends and family so they can have a better understanding of how to really optimize um, this relationship with food and really live the healthiest um, they can in regards to diet. Well, first off, don't put the cart before the horse. And some people that are familiar with our discussions understand that we look at things in a, more of a reverse order than the conventional perspective in that we understand we're in a thought-based universe and, uh, you know, we do create our reality and, uh, and, and, and this can be proven out and we'll expand more on that later. But when you're looking at things within uh, our physicality, including food and thinking they are the thing that will change us, versus us actually being in the control seat, which we really are, whether you believe it or not, then um, 
you know, you're externalizing, you're giving your power to uh, 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 something external to you, which is never a good idea. So that's why I say, uh, look at your food choices as uh, revealing something about you. Now in a clinic, we had ways of, and still do, have ways of understanding what a person's present needs were. And sometimes uh, very staunch vegan types would need a tonifying kind of food that was maybe in an animal byproduct just to temporarily use as a tonic, just like a tonic herb in order to improve their health. And then, you know, um, we'd successfully transition them through that, get to the next stage where they could start lightening up their diet and achieve the next level of health. For instance, in, um, in the temples in the old country, and you know, and I get a lot of these anecdotal stories from teachers I've had uh, in the martial arts and so forth. Uh, but real fighting monks, people that were remarkable in their ability to be robust physically and perform extraordinary physical feats, uh, they were completely plant-based because they're working more in their inner game. However, they had fish ponds and if there was a situation where somebody was injured or convalescing from anything then they would uh, temporarily use the the flesh of fish as more of a tonifying food to help rehabilitate then they go back to their plant base and you know these days it's um, it, it's funny you have uh, the the plant-based vegans that are very militant and I actually uh, understand that well and I carry a similar philosophy in that I think it's very primitive to incarcerate animals and mass slaughter them and the, and the way we do it in the, in the commercial world where you, you go in and you get your shrink wrap meat which is just rotting flesh uh, you know that you have no skin in the game because you're just buying it rather than uh, you know, maybe hunting yourself and making peace with the animal and, and blessing the animal for giving you life. It's, it's a whole different energetic experience. So if you're going to eat meat, I really think uh, you need to give some appreciation. And, uh, you know, for that animal that gave you its all, that is going to make it healthier for your body. And also um, take every measure to not support the, uh, you know, the Auschwitz-style uh, cattle farms and, and that kind of thing that are pretty horrendous. Uh, Mike, you know there's one down Midway and Highway 5 uh, on your way down the spine of California to reach Southern California. And, you know, when we take that, in fact, I don't want to even take that route anymore because I can't handle the sight of that place. But there's a. I refuse big, to take the five anymore. It's soul yeah. draining. Yeah. Uh, the 101 all the way. I can't do the five yeah. anymore, even if it shaves off 45 minutes. It's just, it's too much. Yeah. The, the last time down there when we passed uh, all those cattle fields, uh, it, it was just heartbreaking. And everything else. And I, I literally hid my eyes uh, and looked the other way while not my to wife was driving. Too, not to mention, too, the stink. You can smell it before you see it. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, so uh, we're doing things very crudely, 
And I personally, it's my philosophy, take it or leave it, uh, believe that humanity as a whole will someday look back upon meat eating as uh, like cannibalism. I mean, you're eating flesh of another mammal. Okay. That being said, uh, I've been in there with the best of them, no judgment about meat eating. And um, okay, back to your question, since I've done it myself and, and, and again, I was, uh, you know, into that, you know, carrying massive body weight and strength and everything in order to uh, play the sports I used to play. But then at a certain time, it just seemed like it was time to explore other vistas. So, uh, you know, I made a transition into kind of, uh, you know, animal products, but not flesh uh, derived and, and then uh, uh, into, you know, more uh, raw foods, exclusively plant-based and, and so forth and, until in present day. Ah, sorry, um, that's my phone. It'll stop in a second here. Should have undid that. Oh, it's fine. Um, we can barely hear so, it. Okay, good. So anyway, um, the problem is, is with people that want to go into a diet based on only ideology rather than respecting. And we won't even go into the spiritual aspects right now. We'll do that later. But when you are just ideology-based and say, okay, I want to be a raw food vegan, um, and then not considering that maybe for your, the entirety of your life, you've been on a different diet and never gave your body time to get accustomed or, you know, a transition period where you develop the necessary enzymes and other factors that we require in order to efficiently um, break down different kinds of food stuff, cellulose-based uh, food stuff extract the, the mineral content and everything, even though I believe it's superior, if, if you just do it too suddenly, then it can affect your health. And, you know, a lot of the toughest cases I ever had uh, in my clinical days were people that were absolute food purist and, you know, wouldn't touch certain kinds of foods and, and so forth. And they just weren't thriving physically. And uh, so when we put them through a transition period where we kind of gave them the foods that they're more accustomed to, but also, you know, if, if there were animal derived, uh, then they would be, uh, you know, not the stuff you get in the, the supermarket, uh, be organic grass fed. We'd also, um, you know, if you're using dairy, that sort of thing, you know, raw organic, which is a whole different animal than pasteurized, uh, you know, eggs, free range, and, and so forth. And so at least you're taking a step to clean things up and also be a little kinder to animals because those animals that we're still slaughtering and using in that fashion just to derive their byproducts like dairy and eggs, um, you know, that's under more humane conditions where they're running around free, munching on grass, and, you know, it's, it's at least the uh, – you know, the best of that world. And then gradually uh, um, transit the diet so it's more plant-based until a person is comfortably there. And comfortably there, not just understanding that the chemistry has had a chance to accommodate a new way of eating, but emotionally, when you're there, that's what you'll crave. Not, 
you know, you aren't eating something because you're supposed to, or, or because you want a virtue signal that, um, you know, you're holier than the rest of us because, you know, you eat a certain way. And then, uh, what's interesting on the paleo side, uh, we have a lot of those casualties of the people that jumped in both feet and an incredible amount of people that make up the paleo crowd that went paleo, uh, paleo, well, there's two types of paleo. There's paleo with flesh foods and then there's paleo just meaning, you know, you're eating plant-based stuff as they normally uh, exist in nature rather than eating cultivars that are farmed. Uh, uh, by the way, um, you know, to a lot of vegans who buy their food from whole foods, and I really don't mean to step on a lot of toes here, but what I'm trying to illustrate is there's a lot of sides to this issue. Uh, but when you're buying your stuff from Whole Foods, you're still eating, uh, maybe I shouldn't say Whole Foods, uh, just, you know. It's okay. Amazon's not going to come after us. It's okay. You can say Whole Foods because that, unfortunately, Whole Foods has become the new uh, mainline grocery store for people. Um, you know, I, it is better than going to like a Safeway or something, but still it's become the new corporate standard and I know where you're going with this uh, not to interrupt but yeah whole foods yes yeah, so they're they're providing food on mass uh, even though it's allegedly allegedly organic and we could talk about organic food it's really not what you think it is a lot of times so um, you know a lot of bunny rabbits and all sorts of animals get caught up in the combines and everything else where you're tilling that much land at a time to make those mass crops available to so many people. And in tilling, that's another can of worms because when you till the soil, you destroy the topsoil. And in permaculture, we're all about teaching people how to uh, uh, go more into the trend of local small farms in every single location where you don't till the soil, which actually destroys it which is going to set up the next generation without anything to eat. So that's yeah. another topic. So, yeah, um, you know, we're harming the environment and a lot of animals in the name of uh, eating plant-based foods a lot of times if you're not growing it yourself or supporting your local uh, permaculture farmer. Oh, yeah. I see somebody in the back there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um We've got a uh, school's out. So I've got the kid boys. Ah, uh, nice. A little, you know, uh, little groms running around. I think one just got hurt from a dog, but you good, bud? Uh -oh. oh. Okay. Well, I need you guys to chill. Okay. Thanks. Um, but you yeah, just seen the dog, huh? No, it's his brother. They're, you know, being oh. brothers. God, um, the day school was out in summer, that was always the happiest day in my life. <laughs> I wish, um, in my generation, they had the Steiner method of education where little boys are not meant to be cooped up inside uh, memorizing abstract academic principles. And uh, Steiner knew that and left a, a whole legacy of enlightened education. And I was one of those people that, uh, you know, never should have been in school. In fact, if if I was a child these days, they probably would have had me on every drug known to man just to calm me down and subdue me, you know. Uh, anyway, sorry. I'm oh, you're good. No, they've been having a blast already with summer break. I mean, where we live, 
Um, we, well, one, we live right next to their school, a mountain school in a tiny town up on a river in the tip of Northern California. And so they've just been running around like wild men uh, and hitting the river every day and um, just having a blast before we head out. We're actually going to head down south to visit family into the chaos of the of Orange County and go to Disneyland and all that. But yeah, they're excited. They're super pumped. But brothers will be brothers and uh, they tend to go at it every now and then. Sounds like they're doing right now. But that's okay. Mom's at work. They're gonna they're gonna figure it out themselves. Um, but Good enough. <laughs> I think we're talking about food. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, I think going into the energetic aspects really crucial, um, and kind of uh, I think delving into that more because you're going into the the idea of, of vegans shopping in Whole Foods. And there's a certain energetic aspect to buying even like produce that's been mass farmed, even if it's quote unquote organic versus even just growing yourself. And in some respects, um, while it is better than personally, I think better than buying mass uh, livestock based um, meat, as you were saying, which is just kind of rotting flesh sitting there. But also when you're buying a, um, a mass-produced tomato or pepper or something that, in a sense, is also rotting flesh, uh, the flesh of the of the tree or whatnot. So there are parallels there. And when people get on their high horse on either side, especially on the vegan side, um, about um, slaughtering animals, well, there's a you know one thing I always point out is that when you're going to Whole Foods and buying your soy products or buying your mass market um, agricultural products, uh, you know how many animals are slaughtered uh, on a daily basis with, uh, with all the um, mass ag going on, all the little bunnies and, and rodents and everything that are just ground up <laughs> as they harvest those crops. And so that's the point of this is just saying you have a perspective and step away from your ego a little bit and just kind of have a, a better perspective on, on everything and the nature of this reality is that, unfortunately, we live in a reality that's super dense right now and they're suffering no matter what. And whether that be a, a rodent or a cow, um, there, are, there is going to be a deal of suffering when we, have, um, when, we're, when we take a step away from the actual source of where we're getting food. So... I guess what I'm trying to say is the more intact you can be with uh, actually being involved with where your food's coming from in regards to growing your own food, raising your own livestock, um, going out like I'm an, I, I love to fish and uh, on the river here and there's nothing better, even though I've been kind of struggling a bit with the concept of catching fish and eating it, but catching my own uh, trout and then um, cleaning and cooking it within that same hour um, is, uh, is a pretty amazing um, way to, to have a protein source uh, versus going to the store and buying it. Have so. you ever heard the screams of trout? <laughs> Only in my nightmares. Only in my nightmares from all the trout I've caught. Uh, but uh, no, I've been actually struggling with the concept of catch and release because, and this is actually a, it's kind of cool in the whole fly fishing and angling um, scene that's 
uh, going on right now. There's a lot of really cool topics and debate about catch and release versus uh, uh, fishing strictly to, for um, substance, you know, for eating um, versus sport. Um, then, of course, you've got the whole um, issue with um, with the mass fishing out in the oceans and overfishing the oceans and all that. And that's a whole other podcast. But um, yeah, I've been struggling a bit because I'm a I, I'm a steelhead angler and sportsman in regards to steelhead fishing on this river, and I I am addicted to it and love it because it's just such a challenge. And I'm I'm a very conscious angler. I uh, uh, obviously debarb my hooks and uh, catch and release and and all that. Um, but, and so one way I've kind of justified it now is I always bring a trash bag with me and I'm always cleaning up trash around the river and I'm, I'm paying into certain foundations like the Smith river Alliance here that works with anglers to protect the river from mining operations and other things like that. So there is some conservation included with that, but I still struggle on, on the daily when I'm, when it's steelhead season on like, is this something I should be doing or not? Because in the end, I'm, I'm, I'm catching and, and torturing in a way these fish, or am I? Is it a sport? Maybe this is making the fish more robust in regards to their um, flight or flight or their ability to survive, and I'm making them hardier in that way or not? I don't know. It's a, it's a topic that I've had really amazing discussions with up here about, but it kind of does tie back into the idea of our relationship to animals and what that relationship really is, as we are the pure consciousness on that on this plane that has really brought this reality to fruition. So, what is our role in connection with animals, and what how far can we take that in regards to using them for our own benefit? And fishing is fun. It's very meditative. You're in nature, and I grew up in a family of fishermen. You know, trout fishermen. We'd uh, be in the mountains and, and fish with regularity. And just that ex exposure to the outside, my parents were avid outdoors people and uh, environmentalists before it was uh, called environmentalism. But just in myself growing up in that house, it instilled in me and my brothers uh, a deep appreciation for nature. And, and you're absolutely right. When you catch a fish yourself, um, it's, it's a whole different energetic experience, uh, as opposed to going to Whole Foods and buying, uh, farm raised, uh, salmon from Norway or something, you know, yeah, gross. So, yeah it, it's a whole different thing. Let me finish a thought. I think I was about to make there. Um, a lot of the paleo carnivores that I talk about. And hopefully this will lead in more into the energetic things that you're talking about. Um, a, a lot of them had a similar story in that they were once vegetarians. And then when they started eating meat again, uh, they felt like they're thriving more physically. Yeah. And that's because they jumped in with both feet to an ideology and didn't go through that proper transition phase. So they didn't do that well. And so just like the, the fighting monks in the uh, hills of China, you know, would have their fish farm, you know, where they considered fish more of a tonifying food, uh, you know, people now on the paleo are having a similar experience. However, uh, in my business, I talk to people that have been on paleo for an extended time now, carnivore paleo, and 
a lot of their old problems are starting to reappear because they've gone to, off the deep end on the other extreme rather than finding a balance or, or simply assessing what their needs are that change day to day, season to season, phase of life. You know, all those require different measures. And so let's, let's look at meat eating and uh, let's just say we're even, you know, getting good, uh, you know, wild game or, or what have you. It does have those tonifying qualities, which can, you know, again, be a tonic. But on another level, you're setting a ceiling um, because the energetic qualities of meat, of any kind of flesh food, and, and let's talk about what most people get, whether it's in Whole Foods or, or a regular supermarket, uh, it's the same thing. Uh, there's a lot of qualities in flesh that you really don't want in your body all the time. And flesh has within it um, a lot of adrenal hormones that are coursing through that animal's body at the time of slaughter. Now, first off, even when uh, you know the big axe hits them, they're leading a life. And if you don't think animals don't appreciate that they're getting farmed by us for food. You know, they aren't caught up in an intellectual process. They know what's going on. So uh, even, you know, grass fed and all that kind of stuff, they know someday that day is coming. And um, so it's different than wild game, but animals have a different frequency altogether anyway. So when you eat an animal's body, you're not only getting the animal bandwidth incorporated into your um, energy field, but you're also getting those adrenal uh, end products that are fight or flight, fear. And, you know, most of us are just trying to deal with our own fear. So why do you want a body that's, uh, you know, the flesh is full of that stuff that was present right at the time, you know, it got... It got the big one. Um, well, that's so, why that's why hunting is kind of unique in that if you're a good hunter, you um, you know, and sometimes yes, the prey, the deer or whatever, will know it's being hunted and it'll kick up its adrenaline and and start to taint the meat a bit. But a good hunter knows how to, in a way, minimize that so that you're not getting as much of that. Um, of those energetics. Plus it's also a, a free animal that hasn't been living in, uh, under the, you know, the, the fear of being in captivity the whole time. So that's why a lot of, I think hunting is really, if you is the way to go, uh, in regards to, uh, minimizing, uh, a lot of that, uh, those toxins and stuff in the meat. Yeah. And we have a lot of lions here where we live and, we have a, a tremendous deer and elk population. And, you know, there's a natural balance. The lions uh, pick off uh, deer, and that's just kind of the way it is. And everybody kind of gives it its all. And animals, of course, being on a different bandwidth, they do not have the possibility of raising their consciousness like humans. That's not their purpose for being here in the first place. So not just not to minimize the fact that they are sentient beings and should be respected, but within the natural order, 
um, they do play a role and it, it's really not inhumane if you're in a situation uh, like, you know, people in, in different historical points used to be where they relied on that as a food source. And of course, when you, uh, you know, you are the one that makes the kill, you take responsibility for it. Uh, you tend to use every part of the animal without waste. And it's, it, it is a whole different experience. Yeah. And uh, Native Americans and other cultures, of course, uh, they, you know, respected greatly that life for giving its all. Um, now, on the other hand, if you don't need to do that, and you don't need to bring that frequency into your body, but maybe you're in a, in a, a transitional point where maybe you'd like to raise your frequency a little bit. Um, I, I'm using words like raising frequency kind of loosely because when you get into the um, physics of it, those words really aren't true. But just for some of you uh, people out there that might be a little more educated, I just want to let them know that I'm not new agey speaking. Yeah. So, um, but if you want to go to that next level of consciousness, then um, uh, exclusive meat eating or just with regularity is going to lower the ceiling on your ability to expand your, your uh, perception. And so you might get a temporary boost, just like an athlete that takes steroids and, and you know, you're just kind of burning things up and saying, wow, I'm, I'm doing great here. But there's a price to be paid on the back end. And, uh, you know, you won't be able to raise your consciousness past a certain point. And that's just fact if you are, uh, you know, eating flesh. So if you are eating flesh, it doesn't mean you're bad or you're going to go to hell, or that maybe, you know, it, it's not the perfect thing for you to eat right now. It might be for your health, but understand that we are a species in evolution constantly. Expansion, evolution connotes kind of a linear progression, and so that's why it's really not a good word. We're expansion because all dimensions expand simultaneously. So we also want to get out of linear thought patterns, but that's just another subject. Yeah. So just appreciate that there's more experience here uh, than just, uh, you know, having a six pack and, and, you know, doing the physicality thing because in the long run, if you can lighten your load and, and make your body more expansive, your health and your longevity will actually improve at the same time in ways that you will not be able to experience just on the physical level if you're eating meat, but you have to do it at your timing. And if you find yourself pulling into Taco Bell or, or just loading up the shopping cart at the butcher department or whatever, again, no, no problem with that. I don't have a judgment in the world about that. And I know there's a lot of people which gets into the, the heated debates going on out there that are more ideologically based. Ideology is important. You have to respect that. But you also have to respect where you're at first. So um, if, if you do find yourself in one of those camps, then just uh, start to, you know, not go into self-judgment, but a little bit of introspection and say, well, you know, maybe that's saying something about my food choices or saying something about me. Why do I require that kind of density? Uh, why do I have that kind of attachment for 
you know, whether it's uh, just kind of junk or, or, you know, denser foods in the first place. And maybe a good opportunity would be to um, not try to change, but uh, just dip your toes in the water and maybe have uh, one meal a week where it's a little bit lighter or you use healthier ingredients and uh, kind of get your experience. And uh, after a while, you know, you, you might actually like it and you might start understanding things from a different perspective. And that's how the journey begins. That's, that's what I did. You know, I went from, uh, from you know, uh, uh, body conscious athlete, uh, you know, overly muscled up and everything to, uh, you know, and through all the phases in between. So, uh, and, and it's a journey of self-discovery, but I'll final, finalize by saying this, it's not about the food. And in my own experience, I realized, so I've realized for a long time that um, the food will add qualitative uh, aspects to your experience but it won't make you who you are. And in fact, your desire to experiment with other things, uh, just to be open to other ideas, not being so rigid in one camp or the other, uh, will get you to where you think you're trying to get to a lot sooner than having any rigid belief systems. And rigid belief systems, by the way, or um, a severe judgment about a certain person uh you know you could be judging a vegan and call them soy boys and all that kind of stuff or you could on the other side uh you know be uh you know a severe judgment about the you know the carnivores and you know those judgments against your fellow people <laughs> and that kind of rigidity is going to create more aging toxicity inflammation and wreak havoc in your body way more than if you're eating the food that they're eating, the people you're judging. And, and I will say, if I could somehow free my consciousness from any form of judgment whatsoever and, uh, you know, uh, choose between, okay, that free state or, or else, uh, you know, having a less than impeccable diet, I'll take that level of consciousness any day of the week over being obsessed over what I'm eating because I know that has a more uh, dramatic effect, not only on my physical health, but on my spiritual evolution. Uh, but the fact is, is if you're free of those kinds of judgments and you're going to be eating pretty light anyway, just because I was going to say gonna they lighter. go, they go hand in hand. The person exactly. that's eating Taco Bell every day uh, is not going to typically not somebody who's super enlightened because with that enlightenment, which would entail not, you know, the Zen Buddhist idea uh, who are really good at explaining like no lack of judgment, how important it is to not judge. You're not going to be, you're going to just not resonate with that experience of going to Taco Bell. Um, I will admit uh, I've had my fair uh -oh. share of Taco Bell drive-ins and my kids love that stuff and it's like a special treat every now and then after baseball when unfortunately in the little town that seaside to us is not that enlightened as of yet we're working on that so there's not a lot of food options and when you live in the country sometimes you have to sacrifice make a little sacrifice there and there um, but it's very rare that we do that and occasionally uh, when I do find myself 
sitting in that line, getting that stuff, man, after I eat it, you just feel horrendous. And it's like, why did I do that to myself? And it's very rare that we do that these days. But uh, yeah, somebody who's eating Taco Bell every day and McDonald's or that's Frankenfood stuff, um, you know, I would love to find, <laughs> it would be interesting to see if somebody, I mean, there's the guy who did the Super Size Me documentary and showed just how harmful that stuff is. But if there was like some like super elevated monk guy who decided to just eat McDonald's every day and defy natural law through his own superior consciousness, um, it's kind of a funny idea. But yeah, you're right. Um, it's the judgment and the mental plane that people are on often, especially I see it a lot with the vegans that um, like these diehard vegans that will look at somebody's and like say, ew, you're eating meat, like you're disgusting and just judge them. Um, it's just kind of laughable. That's like they're living in their own miserable kind of dogmatic viewpoint and wonder just kind of how healthy they are. Also, the other point, another analogy about people who um, just ju want to jump into pure veganism, you know, someone it's, it's kind of like uh, a good analogy would be like somebody who's overweight, maybe has never been done athletics, just trying to jump into like um, going full board into cross training or something. They're probably going to get hurt. So a lot of times people that jump right into veganism are, are hurting themselves because they're not doing the right process to help their own energetic body make that conversion. And then what happens is they say, oh, veganism doesn't work for me. I'm going to go pure carnivore because that's what makes me feel good. That's what I find is the answer. So they go the other extreme. And as you said, then end up having the same issues. So it's this like this extreme nature of society right now where it's like, this way is the best, this way is the best. Instead of having that connection that more emo connection to our emotional self and, and, and really knowing how to read our, our true um, uh, conscious uh, self uh, in a way that, um, you know, takes time and effort, takes things like meditation, doing yoga, um, getting more in, in tune with yourself to understand truly what you need to feed your body. Exactly. No, that's a good analogy with the, the training. It's the exact same thing. You're, you're developing your body from the inside out. So um, I've, I've seen a lot of diets come and go, uh, jumped into all of them, you know, especially in the early days when I made the transition from conventional medicine into naturopathy and, and, and all the things that I've done for a long time now. Um, Boy, I, there's so many that have come and gone and then recycled again. You know, I, I laugh because uh, some of them in present day that are big fads, it's like, well, that was uh, big about 30 years ago, kind of goes underground, and then somebody gets a big idea. Usually it's about marketing and that kind of stuff too. But um, it, yeah, you, diet is not, there's no such thing as a diet. Uh, there's only, well, you know, the, the most uh, brilliant system I've ever seen is um, we used to send some people to a clinic in France and, uh, you know, we kind of worked back and forth and they even put out a book, it was called The Instinctual Diet. And I'd say if there's any one diet book that was maybe more true than any of them, it was this one. And here's the way, it was raw food based, by the way, um, but they weren't vegan or carnivore. 
And when you're when, at this clinic, and they would uh, take care of a lot of people with, you know, all these kinds of uh, severe illnesses, because in uh, my practice, that's what showed up at my doorstep. And uh, I, I never wanted that, by the way. I, <laughs> I always wanted to be a sports doc, you know, and just work with athletes. And I got to do a little bit of that. But uh, instead, I ended up just seeing people with cancer and all that kind of thing. It is good because I learned a lot, but n- not at all what I wanted to do. And, and and I still get a lot of that, you know, people calling. But anyway, um, we'd work in, back and forth with some of these European clinics. They were one of them. And so you'd go there and there'd be a big smorgasbord of all sorts of food uh, out on a table. And so at mealtime or whenever you wanted to eat, it was always available. Uh, things were in dishes, whether it was meat or eggs or, or you know, plant-based things. And uh, they were all uncooked. And what people did after an extended stay in there is they developed their sensibilities to what their body really needed. And they were taught to do exactly what animals do in the wild. So if you thought you might want eggs or something, you smelled the eggs uh, in you know their raw form, and if they smelled good, you ate them, and uh, and they would cook some food. By the way, the the testing was done in a raw uh, state, and they did, uh, you know, try to encourage uh, uh, raw foodism as well because of the abundance of enzymes and things. And that's another uh, idea I want to develop too. But uh, after a while, uh, just by smelling your food before you cook it or, or if you're eating it raw, either way, it doesn't matter. That should be your main criteria to whether your body wants that or not. And it will never, ever fail you. And even if you, you know, have an idea that, oh, I feel like this and you're imagining it in its cooked form, if you smell it in its raw form and it doesn't smell good, you really are appetizing, you shouldn't eat it. It's that simple. It's a hard one. Yeah, and the, it really, really works. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Um, and going back to just the natural way of things and how animals work, like if you give your dog something, typically uh, he or she will smell it first real quickly. You know, typically a dog isn't the best example because they'll eat anything. But usually they will My smell it My dog is very first. just <laughs> Oh, yeah. She always sniffs first. <laughs> um, that does real quick, and, it, and this will tie into the enzyme thing too, um, because there's some like really fascinating stuff, even on like uh, Netflix and stuff that talks about cooking and like what really set man apart. And this is their, in their very limited scope of the show about how we kind of, we cook and everything else on this planet obviously doesn't cook their food. Um, <laughs> um, so the nature of cooking and how it relates to us for thousands of years, uh, in our evolution, according to like the mainstream theories and stuff, of course, um, is really interesting and there what's your take on cooking versus raw and what's the value of cooking and how that relates to enzymes so for example there's a i I really enjoy kale and i grow lots of different types of kale in our garden here and i I usually put it in my smoothie every day Uh, i like to char kale actually uh and put it on on my eggs uh and there's so i i do it raw and i and i also cook it and there's certain different types of kale that I guess are better raw and others that have these natural, the plant has a natural protective enzyme on certain other varieties that you um, ideally want to cook from what I've learned 
uh, versus eating purely raw because that can be kind of more damaging to you. So there, it seems like there is some value to cooking depending on what you're cooking. What's your kind of takeaway on the cooking versus raw debate? It, it's the same thing versus uh, meat versus vegan because what is your body adapted to doing? And when people go into raw food too quickly, they don't always have the enzyme systems. Their digestive juices haven't been supported to the point and balanced so that they can break down that plant matter in a raw state or, or any kind of uh, matter, you know, flesh or, you know, because a lot of people eat uh, raw meat products as well. Um, you, you have to have the digestive capability of that. And most often, especially in our culture, people, well, everywhere on the planet now, basically, uh, people have destroyed their digestive system. That, that could be a whole bunch uh, of shows that we could do just about our digestive health. And there's a way to take the heat off your digestive system and then do, take other measures to build your digestive strength back to what it should be and then you can handle more raw. So in the meantime, a transitional approach is best where you have a certain amount of cooked food. Now, cooked food would be like meat, uh, not saying meat is the only cooked food, but it would be in a category of being a tonic. So when you cook it, it breaks it down. It makes it a little bit easier to digest for most people that are used to that and can have more of a toning, tonifying effect versus raw. And um, so if you're going to go exclusively raw without transitioning into it, you're probably going to have problems. And uh, then you'll, you know, what I see with people too is you're going to get cravings and your cravings will build up to the point where you'll probably end up binging after a while on something. You know, that's where, where you walk by the refrigerator at night and it shudders, you know, just at your approach. <laughs> so. You know, you, um, yeah, so uh, you really should be eating what you crave, but then taking measures to educate your palate, develop your digestive system, and um, ease into things gradually. Okay, we lost Mike here. Let's wait for him to come back. I'll take a sip here. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's... Uh fascinating how uh it really is all on a on an independent personal level there's no there's no like one solution fits all thing to a to a diet which in modern society is always looking for of course to sell you know for sales and uh you know the mediterranean diet and which actually is one that we recommend a lot as far now as that is a true diet i'm sorry that is a true diet. As an Italian, that is a superior diet that everybody should be on. <laughs> Actually, I, I love the Mediterranean diet. You know, it, it's, it's kind of in my blood. It's uh, in my genes. It's what I grew up with. And, you know, uh, growing up in a, I grew up in a very Italian uh, culture, three quarters Italian, and then the other quarter, I'm not Italian, came from south of the border from Peru. So they had a very similar way of authentic uh, you know, kind of south of the border cuisine. And, um, you know, they did eat animal products, but unlike 
our culture, the animal products were almost like a condiment and um, things were a lot lighter, you know, whether it's seafood or, or some kind of meat, uh, just, just little small amounts. And, you know, meat wasn't like the main course. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a healthy way. And then uh, um, going into more of a, a plant-based Mediterranean diet without the uh, you know, the other stuff is, is actually what I prefer to this day. You know, another one more thing, Mike, about uh, raw food. If you get into Chinese medicine, um, you understand about balance. And that means balancing the elements. You don't want to have things running too hot, too cold, too damp, or too dry. And if you get somebody that's has a damp quality and, and you know uh, a lot of these sound foreign to people that don't understand the terminologies because we're used to Western medicine, but we can actually um, convert that to Western style terminology and explain what too much dampness is and you know spleen deficiency and that sort of thing so that it was actually satisfy the Western medic uh, and just seem logical. But if you, for instance, have spleen deficiency, you're overly damp and, and so forth, and you try to eat a raw food diet, you're going to go down the tubes real quick. And I've seen that a lot in practice. And, and also, if you live in a climate where it gets a little colder and, or damp in the winter, and you don't adjust your diet to accommodate that, then you're going to have problems too. So you should always be changing it up to, you know, nurture your body uh, for what it needs, but you're never going to hear what your body needs if you're reading books or, you know, listening to all the crap out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need to tune into yourself. And a lot of times when you're listening to the experts, you're failing to listen to the real expert. In fact, the only expert in your universe, which is you but you never develop that knack and food should be a tool to develop that knack. Fascinating. Yeah. I think that's a great way to kind of leave it off today. Um, I think this is going to be a discussion we continue and, um, and it's a fun one and because it affects really everybody, no matter what your interest in life, uh, people eat, um, unless you're a breatharian, which is more power to you. And that's a whole other topic. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Um, uh, just kind of dipping into the chat here. We've had, uh, 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 definitely it's cool to see D lives growing. Uh, we're getting more and more people, uh, on board. Uh, it's funny. Uh, actually there's a cat that I know from, uh, sent who jumped on. He's in crypto and he's actually from Marin bear and, uh, his dad, Marin Kenny rolls. Yeah, exactly. Uh, his dad uh, moved there in the '60s. I'm wondering if you know him. Uh, and where's he, he live in Marin? He was in a band called the Young Bloods. Sound familiar? The Young Bloods? Oh, yeah, they were kind of a hot band, weren't they? Yeah, they had a couple hits. Um, and I was just curious if they he they might know your your other buddy too uh, from Montecito who was in the band. I'm blanking out on his name right now. Um, who was in a Oh, well, he's, he's one of the old British rockers. Yeah, but they're all kind of hanging out around that same time together. Yeah. Um, well, now, Marin County, you know, back, I grew up there. I was a kid, in, you know, in the 50s, and 
then my formative years were, you know, high school in the early and mid 60s. Uh, and then college, uh, you know, the latter part of the 60s. And uh, the whole San Francisco scene happened. And then everybody discovered Marin. Marin back when I was a kid was very rural. In fact, in Mill Valley, you had dairy farms. And it was like, a, you know, one lane on each side of 101 going up to the bridge. And, and so everybody discovered Marin County with the San Francisco invasion. But it brought, you know, just great tunes with it and everything. And I remember I was just uh, uh, up at Tahoe one time. And when, you know, me and a buddy, I think we're in, oh, I don't know, eighth grade or something. And we heard some music coming out of a bowling alley we go in there and his big brother in the holding company with Janis Joplin and wow. our high school dances we used to have uh you know one of our classmates was in uh, uh Quicksilver Messenger Service um uh some I had some friends good friends that were in a local band called uh Sons of Champlin and uh you know uh this one guy who I used to live next door to in Lagunitas who was um that's a, a little rural enclave out towards West Marin. Um, Love, uh, Lagunitas yeah, uh, beer. Yeah. And then I was in a little band. Uh, I was the least talented in the band. You know, I was more back then in the chasing skirts and playing sports. But, um, you know, I learned three chords on my guitar. So they put up with me for a while. And we had a, a band who had a very uh, famous drummer who went on, Terry Bozio, who became the the drummer for Frank Zappa. Uh, and where I first learned my three chords was from uh, a guy by the name of Terry Haggerty, who came from a lineage of classical guitarists and became the lead guitarist for Sons of Champlain. And Eric Clapton always remarked that he thought Terry was the best guitarist out there. Wow. Bar none. And, bar none. And, and I still believe that to this day. And in fact, Sons of Champlain, they never went commercial. They always refused, you know, they would, never cut a, a, a track that was less than four hours, you know, that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, so they never got the, the real mainstream commercial success because they wouldn't sell out, but they were amazing. And, and Eric Clapton, that was his favorite band. So we grew up with all these bands and then a lot of the big ones, uh, you know, like high school dance, we had the Gollywogs who became Creedence Clearwater and Whoa. I could go on and on. Just, it was a great time for music. And, um, so uh, that was my experience in Marin County uh, growing up. It was really a, a great time, uh, you know, where we'd go down to Fairfax where I was born and raised. And it's just kind of a little sleepy little town in the Redwoods there. And then all of a sudden, some of the old shops became black light shops and all that. And so we got the full onslaught of the 60s. And That's funny. You know, he, uh, he's in saying he, um, he grew up in West Marin, but his dad is friends with Terry and he knows him too. Small world. Oh, that's great. That's great. I think Terry's still, I haven't been down there in so long. I've totally lost touch, but I think he's still soloing out there somewhere. I hope he is. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's, you know, I grew up in uh, Orange County in the 90s. So, um, you know, say what you will about California and how ridiculous it is. It's pretty cool to grow up in a cultural uh, significant place. So for me, Growing up in the 90s, I was in the, the heart of like the ska punk boom and would be hanging out at Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm with bands like Save Ferris and Real Big Fish and Aquabats and a lot of the younger people my age, uh, later millennials and uh, people in their early 40s knew all these bands, no doubt, of course. 
um, New, like would hang out with all these guys so i kind of had a similar experience where i had friends and bands playing trumpet though and playing trombone and ska bands and going to see him at the whiskey and uh it was a really cool time and to see you know like hanging out with bradley noel for a second who was of course sublime uh and uh seeing uh One Blink playing at a band <laughs> yeah and seeing like the blink guys playing at a high school party before anyone knew who they were and now of course we know where that's gone with uh what's his name being in the ufo scene and everything it's just bizarre um but uh yeah it's cool growing up in a culturally significant place like that um those are memories that i i highly value so yeah. um and when and when i was first uh, made the transition into uh, private practice when I was more holistic health, if you want to call it that. I, I saw a lot of those guys over the years, you know, we used to see the Grateful Dead and, you know, all, all sorts of bands. And, and a lot of people, I don't want to drop a lot of names, but there, you know, a lot of yeah. real big names, you know, became close friends and everything. And uh, yeah, it was a good time. Uh, it was a good time back there. That's amazing. Well, cool. I think we can wrap it up for today. I know, man, it's just such a huge topic to get into in regards to diet and stuff. And I feel like we just kind of scratched the surface. Um, but I mean, we could literally talk for seven to 10 hours on this topic um, because it, it really connects everything that we're all about uh, from the real science of the waveform mechanics to uh, how our bodies actually work, to uh, the energetics behind um, reality uh, in life forms, whether that be plant matter or uh, animals. It gets into the philosophies that we're all about. It taps into Eastern medicine. It taps into um, New German medicine. It taps into so many things. Um, it's really a, actually a fantastic launching pad for what Alpha Vedic's all about. And a lot of, in, in to, goes into like, you know, what our products, why we, we have the products that we have. There was a cat in here asking about, you know, just how to lose weight and stuff. And it's like, well, that's a loaded question. There's so much we would need to know about you. But one thing that I love, and I always like to give a couple little just um, techniques and uh, little tips. One thing that's really, that I've really f found that I love every morning is besides having like my, um, <clears throat> my fresh squeezed lemon water and the river water here that I drink that's full of um, vitality and uh, energy. Um, and of course our zero point um, liquids that I put in there, uh, which is a, an amazing um, product that we have that uh, with the transitional elements, which we've discussed, and which is a whole other topic, but the thermogenics I really love and thermogenics <clears throat> is some, this is, this is something I, we can end with. Uh, the idea of thermogenics, which is uh, something that monks have been doing for thousands of years and which has been made super popular with things like bulletproof coffee now, uh, is the idea of blending um, fats, natural organic fats with caffeine um, to provide a fire element in your system to allow for you to essentially burn calories in a way that <clears throat> is kind of taking on those reserves you have so that it's, uh, it's the proper caloric I guess, intake that you're getting just off, you know, for the coffee or tea with the natural lipids you're getting, the fats you're getting, uh, for me has been a really valuable thing that I've been doing every morning. Um, it allows me with my current lifestyle to um, have the energy I need without the crash um, and really kind of uh, super, super beneficial and a way to lose weight. So 
Um, that's a little technique that I would like to drop in here. And we do have a whole thermogenic line on alphavedic.com with teas and a coffee. And we actually include tonifying herbs and stuff uh, with our teas and coffee to even be more to beneficial than just like the pure coffee, for instance. Yeah, it is a great technology. And that's why we developed a whole tea line and, and beyond the bulletproof, you know, the bulletproof guy, you know, all the credit to him. He's a good marketer and has his little story about trekking in Himalayas and finding this uh, secret. Well, uh, you know, I learned that in the 70s when I was studying Chinese medicine. So it's never been a secret, but he popularized it and capitalized. Eh, that's, that's, that's all good. Um, but, you know, uh, in Tibet, the original formula wasn't with coffee. It was with uh, a type of tea that they grow up there that has caffeine. So that's why in our line, uh, we don't restrict it to coffee. We do have a good coffee one that has chaga mushroom and he shawu. And, um, but then we have uh, uh, others that are, uh, you know, the other extreme in the thermogenic line that's a lot lighter in, in uh, frequency is yeah. the, the floral one, which is uh, green tea with a, a nice, um, you know, floral overtones, but it has a little bit of caffeine. And, and when you mix it with coconut oil or butter, it just tastes delicious. Maybe pop it with just a hair sweetener. We've got Earl Grey, you know, which is a little bit more of a robust tea. We've got the Guayusa, which is a preferred form of mate uh, mixed with our Jiao Gulan herb. Um, the, the Earl Grey has the Godu Cola. Uh, and then mate is a favorite of a lot of people, um, you know, and that has ashwagandha and reishi mushroom in it. So our thermos, which are different about them, is we give you a choice of different tastes through different caffeine sources. But then we also add the different herbs in every single one of them and made them and, and with suggestions, uh, you know, right on the package, how to make them really delicious. The good thing about thermos, too is with the caffeine, when you mix it with the fat, it uh, doesn't give you that up and down caffeine kind of rush. Uh, it, it maintains a nice steady energy over a long period of time, so you don't have the crash. It also helps you maintain blood sugars, and uh, it's a good way to go too, because first thing in the morning, um, uh, you know, you really don't need to eat, and I know we're all taught that, uh, you know, first meal of the day is more important. Well, what's more important is giving your digestive system a rest so you just don't have food in it all the time. Now, if you're a farmhand and you're working your ass off outside, yeah, by all means, sit down and have a good breakfast because you're going to burn it up. But most people these days, you know, come from the keyboard warrior, you know, uh, strata of society. So uh, when your digestive system is needlessly working, give it a break. Elevate your yeah. blood pressures, uh, your, your sugars, your energy levels and everything with the thermogenic. You can call it intermittent fasting. There, there's all sorts of ways to do it. And one last thing I'll throw in with the gentleman that's talking about weight loss. Again, sure, anybody can overeat, but why? Um, and, and we won't go into it now because it's another huge discussion. But in reality, people that are uh, carrying a little more weight than they want to, all the way to the extreme of being obese. Uh, it's mirroring on the emotional level a need to insulate. And we could talk about how in the physical that acts out with sodium and water molecules and creates what we call adipose. But it's a need to 
uh, insulate against the electrical resistance that is uh, really creating stress on many levels of their being. Um, and so if you get to the heart of that level of stress and, and relieve a little pressure, you'll probably find that you'll start losing weight and uh, maybe without any severe diets at the same time, and it'll stay off rather than going into caloric restriction as the end all. Mike, yeah. I'll hand it over to you to finish up here. Well, a couple, well, a couple things. One thing I always appreciate too when I wake up is first and foremost, I have a big glass of water. I always, you know, you're kind of dehydrated, right? Uh, so that's something I find um, <clears throat> super important. And I, I squeeze a fresh organic lemon that I hopefully have grown if I have enough. Uh, and then I throw some of our zero point in there and stuff. And that usually is pretty good for me. A couple big glasses the of water. Dehydration is from the, uh, the pint of tequila you had before bed. <laughs> that too. Yeah, for sure. I'm a, more of a whiskey guy. But um, Just kidding. Mike doesn't do that. No, actually, I I'm, don't drink alcohol anymore. That's been a big thing for me. I've completely cut alcohol out of my life, which is nuts. I mean, besides the kombucha I drink, which is like 0.5%, I don't even drink the alcoholic kombucha anymore. Um, and I go out and I still go to parties and I do fun social things. I mean, I've been a DJ for 20 years. Uh, and uh, I'm really embracing the no alcohol thing more because I didn't like how it made me feel after you know the next day than anything. I have nothing. I was never had any issues with alcohol. I actually had a very good relationship with alcohol. Um, but, um, anyways, that's a whole other story. Um, one thing, and that this is a loaded question too, but I did want to, uh, approach this because, uh, we have a, we have another person in the chat who is saying, uh, it sounds like they're dealing with maybe some cancer and they're looking for an anti-cancer diet. And they said, yeah, I know that's a loaded question, but that is just a, something we could sum up and then maybe we could have a whole nother discussion about that. But really, there, there's no such thing, right? Well, there is such a thing if you're on an uncomfortable plateau where a growth in your body won't go away or is starting to eat up your uh, resources and emaciating you and that kind of thing. But uh, what we'll address at another time is the fact that what we think of as cancer is a natural biological program in the body. And we could explain in great detail how that program is uh, healing things on both the emotional and the physical plane. Now, uh, I think uh, last week or, or in the past, we, I mentioned that when I was uh, doing a class one time and we were doing autopsies, uh, a old professor, um, you know, kind of my age back then, um, who came from a different era of experience and training because conventional medical training has changed radically over the years where they've got increasingly mechanistic and less and less doctorish. So anyway, uh, when, you know, we said, well, what's, where do these little scars in the body cavities? He said, they're tumor scars because tumors just kind of come and go for some reason. And then sometimes when they don't go, the body, you know, unless it's in a way of something, doesn't have a problem. It just stops the growth and people die with them, not because of them. Now, because our bodies are inundated with a lot more things these days, uh, the least, uh, not the least, is the fact that we're taught to be afraid, very afraid 
we stymie the natural two-cycle process where that growth would do its job. And again, that takes a lot of explanation to make people appreciate that it's actually true because they're saying, "What the hell? hey, my own mom died from cancer. So, you know, when I first started hearing some of these things within new German medicine, it seemed far-fetched to me too. But now I know for a fact it is true. And, and also because when, you know, in my clinical experience, when I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds of people go full circle, when just because we understand the process and help guide them through it and make sure, you know, do the terrain testing that assures that they have all the resources that are devoid in most people these days because of other factors that are bombarding us on the planet. And then also appreciating that the whole thing is an event in the psyche uh, as well. Um, and that medical diagnosis actually shoots us in the foot, you know, on day one. So all these things are great impediments to what the body is trying to do. And then it gets stuck in these phases where things just keep growing, where that wasn't the intention of the biological program in the first place. So yeah, people that have the, the conventional belief system of cancer as a disease, when their bodies, uh, even relatively healthy bodies these days, do not have the internal resources because they're all being eaten up by our body just trying to deal with Wi-Fi chemtrailing you know, GMOs, uh, uh, trying to make a buck working 80 weeks when it used to only take 30, you know, 30 hours a week. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's just crazy the kind of stress we're under. So when you, uh, again, can work with the process, make sure the body has everything it needs, then it will go full circle, symptoms go away. And then on the back end, some other marvelous things happen, which were why this whole thing, you know, was triggered uh, through your neurology in the first place. So uh, cancer diet, first off, uh, in a cancer diet is to understand you are not a victim of a disease and not at all trying to uh, minimize this, the pain, suffering, and anguish that people go through when they get that diagnosis. Uh, you know, my mom uh, was diagnosed at nine, and I watched her go through a I mean, she was just I said, like this fiery, half Peruvian, half Italian lady that, you know, you didn't mess with her. And, and from age nine to age 13, when she finally made the passage, I saw her just become a shadow of her former self. Oh, you mean when you and were nine? Just, yeah, when I was nine. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, she was 42 when she finally passed. Oh, but, geez, that's um, super young. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I just watched her diminish and grew up with the belief system that a deadly disease got her. So, hey, I appreciate my heart goes out to people that are dealing with it, that families are dealing with it. Please don't get me wrong, not minimizing, but I know more now and through the heroic actions of other patients I've had by the hundreds over the years that have uh, went out and decided to just do something different and change their mind and actually taken different steps. And, you know, actually they did that because the other system gave up on them and said, you know, you're toast. So just, you know, there's nothing more we can do with you. And that's usually when, you know, uh, uh, they'd seek out me. And, uh, but, you know, they were heroic in that they dared to do something different than just give up. 
And uh, way more often than not, I mean, extremely high percentage of people got better. They didn't go into remission. They got better. And at the end of it, they, they said, well, no way I'd ever want to go through that again. It was horrendous. It was a real nail biter, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I'm so much more aware and healthier. I understand now why it happened in the first place. And it was probably the single most important event of my life to launch me onto the next phase of understanding what my real purpose on this planet is. So not trying to suggest make lemonade out of lemons, but it's kind of something like that. Yeah. And so to kind of, um, sum it up and this is a whole other talk we could do an entire three hour thing on um this question on best diet for those currently um battling with you know a tumor or something um is just a couple tidbits i mean what would you say as far as somebody who's currently going through this in a more generic way not that that is really something we can offer but I mean, it sounds like I know traditionally people say, you know, eating um, kind of like I call it the old Asian man diet seems to do well where it's um, yeah. minimal and, you know, um, blue green algaes and, and stuff like that where, um, I mean, do you have anything yeah. to say to that? No, it's definitely time to lighten the load. Uh, you don't want to go on a pure beefalo diet for sure. Uh, you, you know, plant-based, that sort of thing. Here's the tricky part though. You know, um, we used to work with uh, the Gersten Clinic down there because they were doing some good things and people don't know what the Gersten Clinic is, a, a German doctor who started a clinic and then run by his daughter for many years down in Mexico. And what they would do when you go down, there's a whole lot more to it than just diet, but the foundation was a lot of juicing and, and fasting. But tremendous amount of juicing to give you the enzymes from, you know, uh, juice, you know, the concentrates, the enzymes from plant matter. And it would work brilliantly, but it didn't work all the time. And, uh, but they still had a great batting average compared to, uh, I mean, no comparison compared to uh, conventional medicine. And they really helped a lot of people to heal themselves. But the cases that it didn't work were because they didn't understand the process of cancer and then it's biphasic. In other words, it goes through one phase and then a second phase. So if you're in the first phase, the Gersten Clinic is unbelievable uh, for helping people, you know, juice, get the, reactivate the enzyme systems, bring back their pancreatic juices and all the other things that it was designed to do work brilliantly. However, in the second phase, what happens is your body is uh, getting ready to digest the tumor. And mm. now when a cancer mechanism is activated, organisms that already live in you go through a cyclogenic uh, morpho uh, morphological changes and, and they activate certain seeds of, of certain organisms, you know, either fungal bacteria to go through a, a certain change. Then they migrate from day one to the scene that the body's trying to clean up or activate to do other things that are too lengthy to get into here. And, um, and then when the second phase is activated, where the body says, hey, job done, we don't need to grow anything anymore, then those, uh, those little creatures will secrete enzymes that digest the tumor. So if you're on a fast 
and you're not getting any kind of protein, those creatures need some protein. That doesn't mean that you need to eat a lot of meat or anything. There's a lot of good clean ways to, to get protein. Um, but you want to make sure you have some protein. Otherwise, they won't be able to manufacture the enzymes and you might have the tumor not be able to get dissolved. So there's a lot to know about it. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's wonderful. I think that's a, a whole other discussion we can have. And I think a lot of folks would love to um, be a part of that. So we'll schedule, we'll schedule it out in the upcoming weeks. I think that's a good way to kind of end it today. Um, if you're new to Alpha Vedic, um, thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to our channel on DLive. Uh, we also replay this on YouTube at 4 o'clock today, Pacific Standard Time. Uh, please also join our Telegram channel, t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic. That's A-L-F-A-V-E-D-I-C. Uh, that is a community we're trying to develop for more direct interaction with us. So those are kind of the two things is DLive. Uh, Telegram, also we're on a new, um, a new platform called Scent that we're really enjoying. Um, and uh, yeah, we're trying to get off the um, prescribed uh, internet ghettos of Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, Google, because those really are derived by the, center, the, the centralized control groups that have been um, funneling us uh, according to their, um, you know, their needs. And we are really trying to support alternative solutions to, um, that are more decentralized, which is where the future is going in order for us to really get out of these dark ages, which we're in currently. Um, but uh, yeah, so on a more positive note, the Telegram channel is great. We're trying to develop that. And um, please join at t.me forward slash Alpha Vedic, uh, DLive, and join us on Scent. Um, those are the three platforms we're really pushing right now. So please subscribe to us. Also go to our website, alphavedic.com, and join the mailing, <clears throat> the mailer, mailing list there because we send out wonderful um, newsletters that have all sorts of cool information and updates on what we're doing at the Alpha Vedic far, uh, Gardens, uh, upcoming events we have going on, uh, as well as we do offer discount, special discounts to just those in the group there. Um, we are moving forward to start and launch the Physic Garden Co-op, which would be a whole new way that um, our company is going to be structured. Um, and moving into this co-op will be a fantastic way to get more involved with Alpha Vedic. Um, we'll have private discussion groups, uh, Zoom web conferences, and meetups uh, uh, physical in-person meetups. We are working on um, having a, a corporate national headquarters up here where people can come visit us, where we'll have our main kind of location and our retail space. Um, we're also been uh, heavily involved with our local farmers markets, which has been wonderful getting out into the community. We've developed our own farmers artisan market here in our little town uh, that we're doing on Sundays. So if you are up in the Redwoods by Jedediah Smith, State Park up here on the Smith River. Please come visit us on Sundays. That's from 11 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon in a small town called Gasky, here where, where I live personally. So we're heavily in, more and more involved in our community, which is everything. Once again, something I'm always pushing is think global, but act local and get involved in your own locality. Become more of a local vore. 
be more in tune with your community around you, that is more crucial than ever in this day and age, uh, is really being involved uh, in your community. And uh, yeah, anything else you'd like to end with today, uh, Bear? I think he said it all. Okay, thanks guys. Uh, thanks for joining us today on the chat. Uh, it's been wonderful. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Same time, same bat channel. Cheers. <laughs>